Welcome to On the Middle East, the podcast of the award-winning media service, El Monitor, where each week we talk with the decision makers and thought leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in the Middle East. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of El Monitor, and our guest today is El Monitor columnist Daoud Kutab. Daoud is a Palestinian journalist, media activist, and former Ferris Professor of Journalism at Princeton University. He is also Director General of the Community Media Network, a not-for-profit organization dedicated to advancing independent media in the Arab region. Daoud and I will be talking about the regional fallout of the clashes at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, whether there is a role for the United States in Israeli-Arab-Palestinian diplomacy, and what's next with Palestinian politics. My conversation with Daoud Kotab begins now. Daoud, welcome back to On the Middle East. Thank you so much, Andrew. Daoud, you had a piece in Arab News this week that the clashes this past Ramadan have forced a high-profile regional engagement led by King Abdullah of Jordan to deal with regulating visits and access to the Al-Aqsa Mosque. First, walk us through the issue itself for, for those who aren't familiar with the history and the most recent understandings, and then let us know why this issue is especially inflamed now. Well, first of all, uh, holy places are very kind of strange uh, real estate because uh, unlike most real estate, you know, you own property, you have a deed for it, uh, you have the keys to it, and then you control it. It's yours. Nobody can enter your house unless they're, they have a, you know, a permit or they're your guests. Uh, holy places are kind of a strange uh, animal because um, they have been controlled and regulated uh, for centuries by uh, the religious uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque, which was, is actually the official name is Al-Haram al-Sharif. It's about a 35-acre uh, plot of land that has gates, and it has uh, a museum, it has schools, it has uh, two mosques, two big mosques, and uh, three small mosques, and a big yard in the, in the middle, because uh, in, in big events like, uh, let's say, Laylat al-Qadr, or like the third and fourth uh, Fridays in Ramadan, you have something like 250,000 people all standing to pray inside the mosques, outside the mosque, everywhere. Every spot on, on that area of 35 acres is full of, of worshippers who come to the third holiest mosque in Islam. Now, over the years, um, you know, traditions and uh, history has been made. Uh, this mosque has been run by Muslims for 1,200 years. 1,200 years with maybe an 88-year uh, break when the Crusaders uh, took over and occupied Jerusalem. The rest of the time, it has been run and controlled by Muslims. It's a Muslim holy place, just like the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or the St. Peter's Church. You know, these are uh, religious places controlled by the uh, religious organizations. Now, in 1967, when the Israelis occupied East Jerusalem and took back or uh, took over the uh, al Mosque area in all of East Jerusalem, um, they were lucky because the two uh, major rabbis, the rabbis of the, Orth the Orthodox rabbis of the Eastern Jews, the uh, 
Sephardim and the uh, Western Jews uh, both agreed that no Jew should walk on the area of Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is Jews call the Temple Mount. And the reason was because they felt this was very holy land, that the Holy of Holies, the remnants of the uh, temple, the 2,000, 3,000 year old temple might lay somewhere in, in that area. And so if you walk, you might be stepping on, on some holy um, uh, property or holy Jewish property. And so they, to kind of ease the situation for the politicians and also because they religiously believed that they should not walk. They made this statement and they put a big sign saying no Jew should walk on Al-Aqsa Mosque. And that went on for years and years. About 15 years ago, 20 years ago, some a bit more radical Orthodox Jews, uh, rabbis, made a religious uh, statement. And they said, yes, it's true. There is, you know, some locations where it is possible that the Holy of Holies lies, but there are other locations that it's impossible that there's anything underneath. It's just solid rock. And so it is okay to walk on some of the areas of what the Jews call the Temple Mount. And from then on, the Jews, like all non-Muslims are by Islam, by all religions, are allowed to come visit. Tourists are always welcome to visit as long as they respect the holy places. And so uh, small groups of Jews and others were visiting uh, the, the place. But then when the second intifada uh, erupted, uh, the Israelis took over the Mughrabi gate. The Mughrabi gate is the gate closest to uh, the Western wall. And so uh, while all other gates, there are two guards, one an armed Israeli police guard, and an unarmed uh, Islamic waqf guard on the payroll of the Jordanian government, which are, are the custodians of the holy places. That Mughrabi gate became the, uh, basically the uh, hole, the gap in the control over the mosque. And so uh, Jewish, uh, mostly very radical Jewish uh, groups started to visit unannounced, unorganized, uncoordinated Al-Aqsa Mosque. They usually do it at non-religious hours, but slowly even that started to, to break down. They used to not visit Al-Aqsa Mosque during Ramadan and other Jewish holidays, but then they also, that weekend, then they started visiting Al-Aqsa during Ramadan. They started, they were usually uh, not visiting the last 10 days were very holy days in, in, in Islam. That also uh, deteriorated and they started visiting the, so that, created a lot of tension because there's a lot of Muslims who come and stay sometimes overnight in Al-Aqsa Mosque and they started to say, you know, you know, this is, you know, this is our holy month, this is a holy last 10 days, stay out. And so that created the tensions. In 2014, John Kerry, then Secretary of State, said to uh, Netanyahu, let's go and visit King Abdullah to organize this issue. And they did. And they reached an agreement that was very simple. Um, Al-Aqsa is for Muslims to pray and for all others to visit. That was the kind of a short uh, sentence. But the agreement was that small groups of Jews at non-religious uh, hours of Muslims can come and visit as long as they respected the location, as long as they dress properly, and as long as the radicals don't come regularly. Now, what happened is that the only ones who come regularly are the radicals. Then most of the Israelis don't go on, on Al-Aqsa Mosque. And it's only the radicals who keep coming. And it, become, it became a, a kind of a show of force. 
that this is ours and we can do whatever we want. And, you know, every now and then we would try to say, mumble a few words or say a few words and that angered the Muslims because they said, this is not for you to pray. Because once you pray on an, an area, then you can say, this is ours because, you know, this is holy for us and we can pray on it. And so um, that created the problems and things escalated. And tell us what's happened in the last month. Why has it been so inflamed now? We see the uh, efforts of uh, King Abdullah. He'll be in Washington uh, next week. How do you see the regional picture around this issue? And what role could or should there be for the United States in it? Two things happened, uh, Andrew, that uh, made things uh, worse. Some of it was the calendar. Another was the newly formed Israeli government. Um, the calendar uh, is a, a kind of a moving calendar because the, the um, Ramadan changes every year. And in the last two years, Ramadan and the Jewish holidays coincided. And so that created the problem. Last year also we had the, the problem of the uh, Sheikh Jarrah. And so there was uh, rockets coming from Gaza and there was a lot of tension in Al-Aqsa Mosque this year. The, uh, the holidays were literally on the same day or like one day and far between. And uh, as you said, uh, Jordanian, US, and some of the, even some of the Arab leaders tried to find ways to ensure that they would be quiet. And they thought that the, the Israelis accepted that. But because uh, the prime minister of Israel is from a very right-wing party, and because just before the beginning of Ramadan, one of his members bolted out to the net, towards the Netanyahu uh, camp. So his coalition became literally razor thin and any one uh, member could bring down the government. And so they had to show to the right wing that they are just as patriotic from their side. And so, you know, Ramadan or not Ramadan, Jews are gonna go and visit Al-Aqsa Mosque. And everybody tried to tell them this would be, this would inflame people, this would anger people, they didn't care. They had to do it, and especially on a Friday. I mean, come on, stay out of it on Fridays, at least stay out of it on the last 10 days. Netanyahu and other Israeli leaders have often not had uh, visitors during these holidays, but uh, Mr. Bennett and his uh, right-wing coalition, or member, some of this uh, right-wing coalition, insisted on, yeah, they have a right. So what did they do? They literally physically cleared up the area, you know, remember what uh, the Americans did uh, when they cleared up the area across from the White House, they did similar things. They used tear gas, but they also entered into the uh, building of Al-Aqsa Mosque itself, and they shot tear gas and rubber bullets. And of course, young people had been expecting them, and so they had a few stones, and they threw stones back, and it was very, very tough. 150 people were injured, 500 Palestinian youths were arrested. It really inflamed the situation. And, you know, it all had to do of, because of the calendar and because of the right-wing government in Israel. Let's turn to some other news this week. Two Palestinian youth carried out an attack that, that killed an Israeli security guard in the West Bank settlement of Ariel. Fatah claimed uh, that the assailants were 
part of their party. Hamas later later claimed them. This is the latest in a string of attacks from both inside Israel and the West Bank in recent months. Why this escalation in violence against Israelis? Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> when there is no violence, people say Palestinians accept occupation. When there is violence, people say, why well, there is violence? What happened is that um, the uh, rockets that were used during last year became a real major problem for the Israelis. I mean, the rockets literally hit near Tel Aviv and near Jerusalem, and that was a huge problem for Israel. So Israel, with the help of the Egyptians, used every force possible, every in every way possible to encourage, to pressure Hamas not to uh, lobby any uh, rockets against Israel. Now, because of that, and they, they, Hamas agreed uh, under the pressure from Qataris and the pressure from the Israelis and from the Egyptians, they had to show that, okay, you don't want us to show rockets. If you do things badly in Al-Aqsa, uh, things are gonna get worse. And uh, they preempted uh, that by, by attacking uh, a few Israelis. By the way, um, the attacks, all these attacks you mentioned, unusual for the Palestinians in a way that they, targeted Israeli soldiers or guards or men. They, they avoided, there was a number of cases in which women and older people were in the way and they pushed them away and they didn't attack them. But the fact is um, Hamas feels uh, that they have to prove that they are, you know, that they are um, somebody that has to be taken care of and paid attention to. And because they were forced not to use the rockets, which is their biggest weapon, they had to do other things. And, and so they moved or they encouraged some of their supporters to take out some of the actions. But it wasn't only Hamas. Also, some of the pro-Fatah uh, people were also involved in some of the attacks. And, and I think this is a reflection of the absence of a political horizon. You know, Andrew, um, under all Israeli governments until Bennett, every single Israeli government was always saying, we want to have peace, we want to talk with the Palestinians, with the Palestinians who don't want to talk to us. Bennett, uh, to his credit, he's honest, because the others were saying that, but they were really talking about peace. He said, no, we're not going to talk about peace. We don't, we cannot afford, our coalition is too weak, and we cannot deal with the political issue. We're not going to have talks with the Palestinians. That, you know, may be honest, but it was also very bad, because you were the occupier, and you don't want to leave the occupation. And so it removed even the kernel of hope or expectation that there was something is going to happen. And so people uh, reacted, you don't want to have peace talks. Okay, you know, then we have to use resistance and we have to fight uh, this occupation. So uh, for these reasons, I think uh, some of the violence has occurred. But uh, I think uh, the... Uh, the biggest problem is that Hamas's hands were handcuffed in terms of the usage of the rockets, and so they had to use other things. You think that Hamas is winning supporters in the West Bank at the expense of Fatah? Yes and no. I think they are winning support uh, because, not necessarily because of the weakness of Fatah as a movement, because Fatah is trying to do a few things but because the continuation of Mahmoud Abbas in office and his uh, security coordination with the Israelis, even though in a way Hamas is also doing similar things by refraining from using the rockets. It's a way, 
it's the same pressure that have, that Abbas is under not to do anything and to coordinate with the Israelis. Um, Fatah, especially in the north in the Jenin, Nablus areas, is much more active uh, these days, and the security coordination of Abbas is not interfering with them and is not giving away uh, their secrets. And so um, there is uh, certainly support for Hamas, but I wouldn't say it's that big because Fatah is also realizing they have to do something. And so they're also active. Do you think Fatah can recover from last year's cancellation of the elections? And is there a feeling in the West Bank that a, a new younger leadership could better manage both the Palestinian frustration and chart a better path with engagement with Israel and the Arab states? You know, uh, being in power for a long time is quite bad. You need always uh, young blood. You need people to move. You need uh, to to bring back respect. Um, somebody like Marwan Barghouti, who has been in jail now for like 20 years, uh, is somebody that Palestinians really uh, would like to see involved. Yes, he's in jail, uh, just like, uh, you know, the South African uh, leadership was in jail when they were fighting the apartheid regime and Nelson Mandela was in jail when he was, uh, when they were, you know, against the apartheid. So there is a lot of support for Marwan, Marwan Barghouti. And I think um, generally a younger leadership uh, can give uh, new ideas, new blood to the movement. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas, like Arafat before him, were in way too long. And uh, we need we need change, whether it's on the, within Fatah itself, within the Palestinian government, uh, the stagnation, uh, the idea that you know Mahmoud Abbas is the only one who knows how to do things, and that there's only solution is a diplomatic one, has failed. It has failed miserably, and um, Mahmoud Abbas and people around him uh, don't realize that, and they blame everything on Hamas. Part of it is true. But it's not enough. You need to allow new blood to come in. How does the Palestinian leadership and, and the Palestinian people, for that matter, in both the West Bank and Gaza, view the participation in the Israeli government of the Ram Party, led by Mansour Abbas? And how, how do you assess this more assertive role we've seen uh, by Abbas, the first ever Arab party to participate in the government, and in fact was the broker uh, that allowed Bennett and Lapid to form their government last year. You know, Andrew, the um, leader of Hamas in Gaza, Yehya Sinwar, um, attacked Mansour uh, last week, saying, you know, you're giving uh, life to this government, which is attacking people and storming Al-Aqsa Mosque and so on. And uh, Mansour and his group and some of the mayors inside Israel, citizens of Israel, Palestinian citizens of Israel, said, you know, we're uh, doing what we can for our people. And, you know, don't, uh, you don't owe us anything. We don't owe you anything. We know what we're doing. And, um, it, you know, I think it remains to be seen. I think uh, whether a participation of an Arab a party in a coalition government without being actually members of the cabinet, without really being able to, to do anything of substance, is enough to uh, justify this act. You know, about uh, six months ago, four months ago, the Israeli government passed uh, a law barring uh, 
family reunification. And, you know, this was one of the things that they were saying they were going to defend. And they could not defend that, yet they didn't bolt out of the uh, government and bring it down. Now, of course, everybody's saying if you bring down the Bennett government, you get Netanyahu back and uh, the large budgets that were finally given to the Palestinian citizens of Israel would be slashed again. So, you know, it's hard to, uh, to answer in a simple way. It's not black and white. But on the Palestinian issue and on the Al-Aqsa issue, um, I don't think that uh, Mansour Abbas has been able to really make a difference. Now, they entered the government with a clear understanding that there will not be any major decisions made on the Palestinian-Israeli government, uh, Palestinian-Israeli coalition negotiations. But this is the head of an Islamic movement. Okay, it is a moderate Islamic movement, Islamic movement, and what happened was the attack on the Islamic web, uh, Islamic temple or mosque. So the idea that you can uh, cover that up by saying, you know, we have more money now for the uh, Arabs in Israel, or we have uh, our own reasons, doesn't really uh, fly. In. And I think um, people are not uh, satisfied that joining the government really has brought enough uh, uh, results to justify it. Daoud, I'd like you to tell us about uh, Al Monitor's new Palestine newsletter. You are the author and lead uh, on this newsletter. Uh, it includes coverage uh, from our reporters in the West Bank and in Gaza, as well as other news. Tell us about this, this new development. I love I love the Palestine newsletter because it's um, you know we know that there is things happening every day in Palestine, but not everyone has the time and the ability to follow every single day news. And so, by doing a weekly newsletter, I'm able to summarize, to pontificate, to analyze, to to take a better a better macro uh, look at what is happening rather than just follow the latest uh, uh, shootings or the latest killings or the latest uh, actions. So I think if you're interested in analysis, if you're interested in, in the larger picture, if you want to uh, understand a bit deeper uh, what is happening in Palestine without having to follow every day's news, I highly recommend you to read the, the Palestine newsletter. I try my best to give you uh, quite a wide selection of information, but also try to give you analysis behind it. What's behind the news? How can you understand what is happening on a day-to-day -day in the larger picture? So uh, please uh, subscribe. Just go on to the newsletter page on Al Monitor and subscribe to the Palestine newsletter. I really agree with you, Dawood. I, I appreciate your, your analysis and, and your take uh, on events, and I think it provides a fantastic service. And I'm and I'm proud of, of all of our uh, reporters in in the West Bank and Gaza. I mean, many of them uh, operate and do their work under uh, difficult conditions. There's a Absolutely. there's a lot of bravery and and a lot of just fantastic reporting, not just on the politics, but in terms of the life and culture of people living there. Thank you so much, Andrew. Though this was a treat. Always enjoy spending time and talking with you. Thank you for joining us again and on the Middle East for your many contributions to Al Monitor, the Palestine newsletter, and 
everything you've written and done for us over the years. You've been with us uh, from the beginning almost 10 years ago. I'm very proud of that. We will return after this break. Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department correspondent at El Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell. I'm El Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let El Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to El Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts, along with first-class reporting and analysis. Thanks to our guests, Daoud Kutab, and our production team of Beowulf Rockland and Rosabel Hine of Two Squared Media Productions. We will be back next week, and if you haven't done so, please sign up for all three of our All Monitor podcasts at your favorite podcast platform. Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. Gilles' guest this month is Nobel Prize-winning novelist Orhan Pamuk. On Israel with Ben Caspin, and this week Ben speaks with Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz. And of course, this podcast, On the Middle East, where I will be here again next week, with another decision maker or thought leader in the region. Thank you all for listening and please keep up with all of the news and trends in the Middle East at lmonitor.com.